0: If you have your Bible, please open up to Romans chapter 4 today. We're going to start in Romans 4 and 9. And if you don't have a Bible, then get one of the black Bibles that's on the end of each pew. And that Bible should be on page 941. And if you don't have a Bible for yourself, a physical copy of the Bible, um, then please just take that one. It's our gift to you to be able to have that uh, sitting there in your home and in your life. Uh, It's the Word of God, the Word of life. Let's read together starting in uh, Romans 4, 9, and I had uh, planned to preach through the end of verse 15, and I'm pretty sure we're only going to go to the end of verse 12, so I'll just read verses 9 through 12, and then if by some chance I get to the end of that material and we've still got a bunch of time, then we'll just keep going, all right? But, But let's read Romans 4, 9 through 12. It says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. We've come today to another section in the book of Romans that is dealing with the same thing that the previous section dealt with, and the previous section before that, and the previous section before that, what it is dealing with here is the subject of what we call justification by faith alone, or sometimes as we call it, the gospel, the good news. How is it that we can be right with God? And the answer that was given out of the mouth of Paul to the Philippian jailer was, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Justification by faith alone. And the question is, why would he continue here in Romans to keep on talking about the same subject? You would think, well, he already taught justification by faith alone, and then he taught it again, and then he taught it again. Why does he keep on teaching justification by faith alone? Well, for one thing, that ought to show us this is pretty important. This is the central thing that we rest our eternities on, that we rest our souls on, And also that we need to be told this a lot. If the Bible comes and tells us something over and over and over, the reason is because God knows that we needed to be told it over and over and over. Why is it that there are so many angles on this? Well, it's because we need it. I love love what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said about it. He, a great 20th century British pastor in London, he said, Oh, how difficult it is to submit ourselves to the gospel way. That's the idea. We need to hear it over and over because it is, for some reason, built into our sinful flesh, difficult to submit ourselves to something so simple as believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He said, this is Dr. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, the good doctor as they called him, he said, oh how anxious man is to keep a little credit to himself. Oh how anxious he is to prove that after all in him or in his family or in his nation something surely must be of value. He seems to want anything but this free gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, to those who don't believe the gospel, we, we need to have it preached over and over and over again because there is just this clinging to this idea, no, they sh- there surely must be something in me that I could offer to God. There surely must be some basis whereby God would look at and examine me and find me to be in the right. Well, this tears that down. We are not justified by what God would find in us, but by what God has given to us in Jesus. This is justification by faith alone, not by merit, not by works. And for us who believe, even if we already believe this gospel, we keep on needing to hear it again and again and again. We see that because it's in the Bible again and again and again. And the reason is because we still have what the Bible calls the old self, the old dead man that we have to cut off and kill every morning, like a corpse that's tied to our backs when we wake up. And part of what that old self does is it tells us, surely, no, surely, no, not for you, not, not justification by faith alone for you, not today. Because even though you know that that's in the Bible, you feel the guilt of your sin and you wake up and you think, no, surely there must be something that I will change about myself to make myself more acceptable unto God. And so we need to hear this over and over and over. We are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, and by His grace alone. The way that it's spoken of today, the angle that Paul is taking on it, I guess I should say that the Holy Spirit is taking on it through Paul today, is this angle of being brought in to the family of faith. Being brought in to the family of faith. What God does when he saves someone there's a lot that's to that, a lot of descriptions of what it is that happens. We we can study that for our whole lives and, and not get to the whole depth of what it means for God to save us. But, but one of the most simple ways that it's described in the Bible is that God adopts us. He, he takes us who were not a people and he causes us to be his people. He takes those who, as Ephesians says, were children of wrath and he adopts us into his family, makes us children of God. He brings us in. And that act of God is the most fundamental thing that adoption is, and human adoption is a reflection of that. And it's a a really neat thing. For Christians, just about every aspect of of the Christian life and of our eternity is wrapped up in that reality of being adopted by God, uh, that, that He has brought us in. So we we were once dead in our sins. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but we've been brought in. We are part of God's children now. We're part of God's family. And that brings with it all of the rights and the privileges of being a child of God. And it brings with it what we call the eternal inheritance, as is described in Ephesians, of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that is ours in Christ Jesus as we set our mind on those things to come that we have in Christ. Now, in in our family, in the Wigginson family, when we adopted our two youngest kids, it just blew my mind to think of what the reality was now for them, what the reality is. It's not that their background is erased. It's not that their biological family is not their family or something like that. That's simply not the case. But there is a reality also that's been added to that that is just mind-blowing, that these children, who at one point we had never met before, now are actually, in truth, our children. And our parents really are their grandparents. And our children, uh, who we already had, are really their brothers and sisters. And our family history and heritage really is now their family history and heritage. And they have been brought in in full. And that's what God does for us in Christ When he grants faith, when we come to faith in Jesus, he brings us in. And part of what he does when he brings us in is he gives us a family, right? We've been adopted by God, but you, believer, are not the only one who has been adopted by God. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. You have come not just as an individual to God, but you have been brought into the family of faith, and that family of faith is what's being described here, even as Paul takes another angle on describing the gospel justification by faith alone. We have been brought in and caused to be children of Abraham. So. Let's look at verse 9. Let's see what's going on with Abraham, that Abraham was justified by faith alone. Now, that sounds familiar if, that sound, if you were around last week, because that's exactly what he already talked about earlier in this chapter, that Abraham was justified by faith alone. But let's think about that in the way he describes it in verse 9. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Now, what blessing are we talking about? got to go back a couple of verses. This is the blessing that David spoke of in Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Every time I read that, I just want to start jumping around. And I don't know, there's something culturally about me that I just don't jump around. It's okay if you do though, okay? And we can jump for joy in our hearts or in our bodies or both, that we have sins forgiven in Christ. That is a blessing for the unrighteous, the ungodly, to be justified by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not as though our sins are not real or as though God just pretends that they didn't happen or something like that. It's that we are covered by the blood of Jesus and counted as righteous in his sight. That's the blessing he's talking about to have sins forgiven. And the question that he asks in verse 9 is, is that blessing only for the circumcised? Why would he say that? It's a weird question to us. It's a question we wouldn't normally bring up in our time and in our context. Well, what what we had back in the first verses of chapter 4 was just the general idea that God saves people by faith alone and not by works. We're talking about general works, that there is no righteous deed that you can bring to God to prove that you are righteous that would cover up your sin. And when we get to verse 9, he's getting to a specific category of works. The specific category of works that he's talking about here is the category of adherence to the Old Testament covenant requirements. He's saying, is this blessing only for those who have converted to Judaism. Is this blessing that comes through the Jewish Messiah, whose name is Jesus, is the blessing of having your sins forgiven only for those who convert to Judaism as part of their embracing this Jewish Messiah? Now, again, that, that would seem weird to us. Why would he ask that question? Well, it's because it was a troublesome question at the time. It was something where there were false teachers who were going around and saying that that might be the case. We mentioned this a little bit because this circumcision question already came up at the end of chapter 3, but a great example of this is in Acts 15.1. It says that some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. I mean, boy, that's a, that's a troubling thing to hear, Right? There, there, there were those who were saying, you Gentiles, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but your sins are not actually going to be forgiven until you forsake your own heritage and embrace Judaism and go through the customs of of the conversion to Judaism, including this mark of the Jewish Abrahamic covenant of circumcision, and you then are pledged to the nation of Israel, you must be brought in physically with these marks in order to be saved. There is a certain logic to it that kind of makes sense, right? If you're going to be saved by the Jewish Savior... Shouldn't you become Jewish? Shouldn't you embrace all these things? Wouldn't that seem like a more full embracing of Jesus? That way of thinking, even even though it's not really put quite the same way that it was in Acts 15, that way of thinking is still floating around. This idea that, well, you might actually really be more in God's family if, if you would then also convert to that way. Well, this is saying that is not the case. And he's going to tell us why that's not the case. And the reason it's not the case was also in Acts 15. I'll just read this to you as as this question had come up. Is it true that you can't be saved unless you convert to Judaism and are circumcised? Well, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe which happened first in Acts 10. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, and giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, he made no distinction between us and them. He says, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is the one who has made no distinction between Jew and Gentile among believers, having cleansed their hearts by faith, Not cleansing in this sort of a physical cleansing ritual and mark, but cleansing their hearts by faith. The circumcision of the heart, as it's spoken of in the Old Testament. Peter said, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. He says, we who are already Jewish and believe in Jesus, we are not saved anymore by our Jewishness or by our circumcision. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. That's what Peter said. And he said, that's exactly how God is going to save the Gentiles too. And yet, those false teachers kept on going around and spreading that false teaching. Sometimes you'll run into mentions of them in the New Testament as they're called the Judaizers. Sometimes they are called the circumcision party, which sounds really weird if you don't know what that's talking about. The circumcision party. Well, this is those who were just going around and upsetting Christians' faith and making them wonder, "Am I really saved if I haven't gone through these steps?" Well, Paul's answer here in verses 9 and 10 is that that question was answered already. That question was answered back in Genesis 15, 6. All right, so let's see what he says. Is this blessing also then for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. This is what he quoted back in verse 3. He's quoting it again. He's quoting Genesis 15, 6. He's saying, look, all the way back in Genesis, God declared that Abraham was, was forgiven of his sins, justified, righteous in his sight, not through any work that he did but through faith. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What's interesting, the the timeline of this seems like that that verse and the events that that verse was talking about came about 14 years before Abraham then Received the covenant and the sign of what's called circumcision. So for 14 years, at least, Abraham was walking around as a believing, forgiven, as we would call it today, Christian. Someone whose sins are forgiven by faith in the Lord. For 14 years before that circumcision ever came to him. Here's what it says, though. Verse 10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He's saying, look, Abraham is an example of someone whose sins were forgiven without going through those rituals. And so therefore, we can be forgiven without going through those rituals. That we have the grace of God in Jesus and not in circumcision, not in any work, not in any religious ceremony that we could partake of. It says in verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Right, I'm just going to pause right there. We'll come back to the second half of verse 11 in a second. But here, it says, here is why it happened. Here's why God gave it, even though Abraham didn't need this physical thing to be, uh, to be forgiven, God gave it as, he says, a sign and a seal. A sign that was to show he was marked off for God and as a seal of what God had already done. A seal of the righteousness that he had, you might say that he already had, while he was still uncircumcised. Now, circumcision was given as a a sign and a seal of the faith he already had. So there's a a question that that this raises. Um, Why, then, did God command that Abraham should do that for all of the males in his household? Maybe some of them believed. A lot of them didn't. Certainly his infant children didn't believe yet. We hope that they would. But why did God do that? It says right here, it was a sign and a seal of faith. Well, the reason is he did it as a shadow of the substance that was coming in Christ. That's the principle that we have in Colossians, is that these things that were in the Old Testament, these ceremonial requirements that are no longer there in the New Testament, that they were shadows, that the substance that's casting the shadow is Christ and the reality that Christ would bring. What this was doing is this was showing from generation to generation, down Abraham's line, that people needed to be children of Abraham. That people needed to come to the God of Abraham. That this profession of faith that Abraham had needed to become their profession of faith also. What you you basically have here is a physical sign that pointed them to the fact that they needed the spiritual reality. Reality. They were marked off as people who ought to be reminded, I ought to have not just the family of Abraham, not just the marks of Abraham, but the faith of Abraham. That's what this is talking about. The physical family of Abraham was a shadow of the spiritual family of God and a reminder, you must believe. You must believe. You know what is our sign and our seal now? Some would say baptism, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit. Let me read you from Ephesians 1. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You hear that? That's the word. Abraham received the seal of circumcision, but believer, you received the seal of the Holy Spirit when you believe ah that, that ought to be something that makes us jump for joy nobody's jumping you guys are all so reformed all right this is a good thing guys to be sealed and marked off by God himself by the Holy Spirit who would come and indwell us that's what we need you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved I do want to deal with this real quick, though. This idea that that maybe this is talking about New Testament baptism. Now, why why would I bring that up? Because if you're rational, I shouldn't say that. There's rational people who disagree about this. But if you're looking at this and you say, well, where does this talk about baptism? You might notice it does not. It does not. And yet, uh, some of our great friends... Uh, The Presbyterians and others that we highly respect would say, well, this is the passage that shows us that you need to baptize your infants. Now, we would say, what? Where does it say that? Well, it it doesn't say that. But Charles Hodge, who is probably maybe the greatest Presbyterian theologian in the past 200 years... Uh, in his commentary on this passage he says this is the broad and enduring basis of infant church membership the idea here is abraham received circumcision as a sign and seal of his faith and therefore believers should baptize their infants and bring them into the membership of the church because abraham circumcised his children well i just i'm sorry guys I hate to deal so much with something that the passage does not say, but I just kind of feel like we have to do that sometimes when we come across some of these things, when we have faithful brothers and sisters in so many ways who, who are just mistaken about some things. I don't want to make you think that you, you can be saved by having the right view of baptism. That's not the case. You're saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. But we just got to be clear too, this just is not talking about baptism not talking about infant baptism. I want to give you five reasons really quickly why that's not the right understanding of this passage, that this is not about baptizing your infants. First reason is that this can't be about baptism because of what he's about to say in verse 11 of the purpose of it. Look what he's going to say in verse 11. He says, the purpose was Now, you might think there the purpose was to show that believers should then baptize their infants and bring them into the sign of the covenant and the covenant people also. No, that's not what he says. He says the purpose was to make Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that that righteousness would be counted to them as well. He doesn't say, this is so that we could replace it with a different ritual in the New Testament. He says, this was to show that you don't even need that at all. To show that the true children of Abraham are those who themselves believe, have the faith of Abraham. We'll we'll get to that more in just a minute. But it doesn't have any kind of a command about baptizing children. This says that it has to do with the faith of Abraham. Second reason: If anybody really used baptism to follow Abraham's example of circumcision of the household, you would have to do things very differently than what infant baptizing churches do right now. Because Abraham didn't just uh, didn't just circumcise his children; he also circumcised, or I shouldn't say, just his infant children. He also circumcised older children, who were certainly old enough to believe, whether they did or not. And not just his children, but everybody in his whole household, including his male servants. And if you were going to take that and just transfer that over and say, circumcision in the Old Testament equals baptism in the New Testament, then you would have to say, well, I guess guess if I have a butler, I've got to baptize him. I I guess if I have a 30-year-old son who lives in my basement, that I've got to baptize him. And of course, maybe it would just be the males. I don't know. The the fact is, though, that if you're going to take circumcision and read that as the word baptism, and you're going to try to bring the practice over, it, it just doesn't work. You're going to have to invent things in order to make that happen, things that are not there in the Bible. The third reason is that the Bible just never equates circumcision with baptism. It just never does it. The, the, the closest place where if you squint really hard, you can kind of see and make it look like it. Maybe it says that circumcision is baptism is in Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, where it says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also have been raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, if you wanted to see that the two things were the same, you would see that there, but it's just simply not what it says. It says, no, what we need is not something done with hands. Guys, baptism is done with hands. So it says what we need is a circumcision without hands. He is talking about regeneration. He's talking about the Holy Spirit giving people new hearts. He's talking about the process of God converting us to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament talked about, too, for those who had that sign uh, physically that they needed to have their hearts circumcised, that they needed to be different in their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible just never equates it. A fourth reason is that the Bible never gives any command or example to baptize infants or anybody else who hasn't professed faith in Jesus. There are some examples where whole households are baptized, but in almost all of those examples, it's very explicit in the Bible, the whole household learned the gospel and turned to Christ together. That's why they were all baptized. Not because they looked around and said, well, let's put these little babies through the water too because that might be a nice thing to do. It's just not what was there in the text. We need to align our worship to what the Bible teaches in the text and not to what we would want it to say. The final reason is that if Christ had taught the apostles that baptism was the replacement for circumcision in this new covenant, if he had really taught his disciples that, there's big portions in the New Testament that would look very different than they do, where it deals with circumcision. These discussions in Acts 15, do believers need to be circumcised or not? Or in 1 Corinthians 7, or here in Romans 4, or the entire book of Galatians, where they go on and on about how we are no longer under the law, but we are in Christ, and, and how this, this preaching that you need to accept circumcision, that that is a false gospel that is to be accursed, as it says in Galatians. All of those discussions, you know what they could have been replaced with if, if New Testament circumc- or excuse me, New Testament baptism was just the replacement for circumcision? They could have just said that. They they could have just said, you don't need to accept circumcision any longer because now you get baptized instead. But it's just not what it says. Instead, here's what it says, things like this in 1 Corinthians 7, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. You hear that? Let him not seek it. Or Galatians 5, 3, and 4, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. All right? Now, for some of you, uh, you are wondering, why did we spend time on why uh, it does not say what it does not say? Well, it's Here's the reason. It's because we are a Reformed Baptist church. We have close ties to Presbyterians who do believe a lot of these things, and we just got to be clear. We want to do what the commands and examples of the Bible tell us and not what we could say, well, we think that this is the reason why this tradition might be in place or something like that. We want to do what the Bible says, all right? So that's, that's what we want to see there. But guys, another thing that you you need to see here, uh, even though this is not about baptism, one of the things that you can see is that there is no such thing as a physical, religious ceremony that you go through that makes you more saved. I want you to hear that. There is no religious ceremony that you can go through that makes you more saved. Should we be baptized? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, you should be baptized. If you today are a small child and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to hold off on that until the time when you are able to understand what it is that you're getting yourself into and committing yourself to and being under the accountability and the discipline of the church. We're going to wait for that, but you are fully saved right now if you believe you don't have to say well they are being so mean to me because because I have to wait a few years before I gain a great understanding no you are fully accepted in God already and we rejoice in that we want to wait till the right time to do those things and, and for you to be able to know exactly what it is that you're you're signing up for right but but uh, guys, you need to know, those of you who have been baptized, come into church membership. Those of you who, who deeply look forward to the first Sunday of the month when we take the Lord's Supper together, those sorts of things, I, I hope that you cherish those things. They, they are part of the means of God's grace in our lives, but they don't make you more saved. You, you are not like a little bit more forgiven of your sins after you get baptized than you were before you got baptized. You're not a little bit more forgiven of your sins after you take the Lord's Supper one week than you were that morning when you got up. What this is saying is that Abraham was justified by faith alone before he ever partook of any of the ceremonies that God would then command him to do. And, guys, this is good news. That we can stand before God justified, not because of what we would do, whether it's helping an old lady across the street or getting baptized. We stand justified and forgiven before God because of Christ's finished work on the cross. As we look to Jesus, as we trust in the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect one who died for sinners like you and me, when we trust in him, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ before God. We are brought in. We are accepted. And that's good news. That is good news. I want you to see what he comes to in, in the second half of verse 11, that there is this idea of being Abraham's children by faith alone. Right? I, I told you this is about being brought into the family of God, and it's the family of faith, not the physical family. Not, not the, we signed up for this list family, but the family of faith, those who believe. He says, the purpose, the purpose, well, that means the reason why God saved Abraham 14 years before he told him about circumcision. The purpose of this was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Now, Guys, you could could make that argument. Well, if you're coming to the faith of Abraham, then you need to go through the actions of Abraham. Well, that's just not what it is. You come to the Savior of Abraham. Trust in Jesus, who Abraham was trusting in, even though he didn't know what his name was going to be yet. And when you have that faith in Jesus, you have the faith of Abraham, and according to this, You are a child of Abraham. It says he is the father of those who are uncircumcised but who believe. That means Abraham is the father of Christians. Let me put it this way Father Abraham has many sons, and many sons have Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so are you if you're a believer. So let's just praise the Lord. I just thought of that. We come into the actual family of faith. We are, as he's going to go on and say in chapter 11 of Romans, we are grafted in by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the true vine. We are brought in and we are there in truth. In Acts 10.45, it says the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. You you see, what started happening just in, in this beautiful, visible thing in Acts 10 was that the Holy Spirit was coming upon all who believe, including those completely outside of the nation of Israel completely outside of the children of Abraham, not requiring that they come in and go through that process of conversion to Judaism, but being sealed with the Spirit in the moment of believing. And that's what God still does. He brings us in, and it is an amazing thing. He says in in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You hear that? Now, there are, there are kinds of teachings out there that would say, well, no, God has two different sets of people. God has the Jewish people, and then God has the church. And they would say, well, we're, we're still waiting to see what's going to happen with the Jewish people. And there's this parenthesis in history right now where God is dealing with the church. And then one day he'll rapture the church away so he can finish dealing with the Jewish people. But you know what the Bible says here? It says here that when you believe, Abraham is your father. You are brought in. Believer in Jesus, you have come to the faith of Abraham. And you have come to the family of Abraham. And you are brought in, in full. There is not a distinction here. You are brought in. Guys, when, when, when you come to believe in Jesus you can look at the Bible and open up the Old Testament and not just say, well, here's some history of some stuff that happened that's really interesting to those people over there. We can say, this is my family history. When your faith is in Jesus, you you can open up the book of Exodus and read about how God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. And you you can go beyond just saying, God, thank you for rescuing them out of Egypt and you can say god thank you for rescuing us out of Egypt you have been brought in you are not alone you have been grafted into the people of god by having the faith of abraham the history and the heritage of the people of israel is ours in christ who is the whole point of the people of israel christ And all the covenant promises are ours in Christ. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 1, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Right? If you have Christ, then you have all of the Old Testament covenant promises that are yours. And all of the grace of God is ours in Christ. Something else that you need to know is that it is only believing Jews who are Abraham's offspring it's not only those or excuse me it is not those when we're talking about it in terms of the actual Israel of God as it's called in Galatians when we're talking about the actual spiritual people of God it's not those who are physically part of that nation who are God's offspring it is those who have the faith of Abraham I'm not making this up is what it says let's read it Verse 12, and to make him, that's Abraham, the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here's what it says. Abraham might be the father physically of many nations and of this great nation and the nation of Israel. But as far as God is concerned, in the eyes of God, it is not mere circumcision, not merely being part of that physical people that makes a person a child of Abraham. It is the circumcision of the heart. It is having the faith of Abraham, walking in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That's who truly has Abraham as their father. This is not the only place where we see this. We see this throughout the Old Testament, where there's there's the command for those who have been marked off by circumcision to circumcise their hearts, like it says in Jeremiah and Deuteronomy and other places. There is the indication of this back in Romans chapter 2 that we we went through a while back, where it says in, in 2.28, "'No one is a Jew who is one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart.'" by the Spirit and not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Or as John the Baptist preached, when he had people from the Jewish nation, including prominent Jewish leaders who were coming to him for baptism out of the Jordan River, he looked at them in Luke 3, verse 7, and he said to them, you brood of vipers. Do you know what that means? It means offspring of the serpent. There's references to Genesis 3.15 here. He's saying, you think you are children of God, you are children of the serpent. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Well, they did have Abraham as their father physically, but he says, don't say that. Well, why not? He says, for I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children for Abraham. He points at the rocks on the shore and says, if God wanted to, he could make these things into Abraham's children. God is not concerned with physical lineage, but of spiritual lineage, of having the faith of Abraham. He says to them, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, if you are depending on your family heritage to get you to heaven, you need to know that right now you are headed to hell. Guys, that's not just something for the Jewish people to consider. That is something for the Baptists to consider. That is something for the Reformed people to consider. For the Protestants, for us who have our Bibles sitting on our nightstands to consider. That if you think to yourself, I must be a child of God, I must be okay because this is my upbringing. Because I am familiar with these things. Because this is just how I consider myself to be. You know what John the Baptist would say to you? You brood of vipers. Do not say to yourself... I have that prominent family from the Baptist church. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what he says. Or in John 8, 39, there were these Jewish leaders who said to, uh, to Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Well, it's in verse 12, faith. It's those who walk in the footsteps of faith, the faith of Abraham, who are his children. I'll just give you one more verse, Romans 9, 6, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. It's God's choosing, it's God's grace, and we come in by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what Abraham did according to Jesus? Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced. And if we want to be children of Abraham, if we want to be part of the family of faith, if you want to be saved, you need to look to Jesus and have faith. Believe in him. If you don't have faith in Jesus, ask God to give it to you. If you don't have repentance, if there is something holding you back today where you you just can't imagine the ways in which it would shake your world if you realized that you've been wrong all along, That's a big part of what repentance is, realizing that you were wrong all along. And to turn and to instead embrace Jesus. If If there's something holding you back from that, go to God. Go to God and just ask him, God, will you grant me this? Will you tear down whatever wall it is that is preventing me from coming to faith, from changing my mind, from repenting and trusting in Jesus alone for my salvation? Uh, 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 that's the point again you may say well this was the point last week and the week before that and the week before that it's going to keep on being the point for a while you need to be justified by faith alone in christ alone don't depend on circumcision don't depend on uncircumcision don't depend on any action that you could take don't depend on the fact that you go through this ritual or that ritual. Don't depend on your family lineage. Don't depend on what you could present to God. Depend upon the person of Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have uh, given us Christ. Lord, if it, were, if it were up to our righteousness or the, uh, any of these things that we've just said, our lineage, our works, our religion, uh, in terms of the religious actions we could take, if it were, if it were on the basis of those things, uh, God, we, we would all be doomed. But it's, it's on Christ, and he is our God and Savior. So, Lord, I pray for, for us who believe that you give us the grace to keep on looking to Jesus, even when our hearts would tell us uh, that we need to look to ourselves instead. And Father, I pray for those who don't yet believe. I pray that you would tear down those walls that are in their hearts and turn them to Christ and give them the joy and the life of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.